Hello and welcome to the Talking Locks with Lockitude podcast. My name is Adi Balugun. Today I'm joined by Shanera White and she'll be telling us a little bit about herself. If this is, if this is your first time tuning into the Lockitude podcast, this is the Chair Convo series where I have a conversation with my clients who have become my friends and we basically just have a conversation like we were in the salon and they're getting their hair done. The conversations are usually always fun. I meet a lot of fantastic people. And Shanetta has thankfully said yes to this ask. So I'm very happy that she's here today and I'm looking forward to the conversations that we have. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I'm originally from Jamaica and I moved here when I was 15 years old. So I really have been living in the U.S. for a good two decades now. Okay. You know, I have a husband and a lot of family members who also live not too far from where I live in the U.S. You see, so as somebody Mm -hmm. who also migrated, Mm -hmm. I'm always confused when people say I'm originally from. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like I can never stop being from Nigeria. So do you feel like you are American now as well? No, I'm Jamaican. (laughs) Jamaican, African and American. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then you have mentioned to me in the past that you grew up in the countryside in Jamaica. Mm -hmm. What was that like? How many people were in your in your town or in your city? Can we call it a city? Um, It's more like a community or district or could even call it a village technically because it was super remote and very small. I would say maybe less than 100 people were in my community. So it's the kind of place where you know half the people in the village? I would say all. (laughs) I really would say all. So if if I walked into the village tomorrow, everybody's going to know there's somebody new in town, somebody new in the community. Who would you come to see? They'll know. (laughs) Oh my God. That's, um, I can't even fathom that because I grew up in a city that currently has over 20 million people in it. Oh no. So you hustle, bustle, fight for space. Um, And in many ways, Lagos is a small city in terms of its size so there's so many people but within your circles you can go somewhere and you get to see people you know but knowing everybody around you that's that's something oh yeah like everybody knows you everybody knows each other's everybody business knows your mother yes. your father your grandmother uncle everybody that time that your grandfather was punished somewhere yes. everybody witnessed it <laughs> oh wow yeah that's interesting people are really nice though but everybody knew each other yeah. And it's still small till date. It's still very small, like radius-wise and people, number count-wise. What's the name of your village? So it's called Flint River, and it's in the parish of St. Mary. So Jamaica has 14 parishes, and St. Mary is sort of on the east coast of Jamaica, and the Flint River is like a very small community or Is it district. also on the coast? No, it has a lot of rivers, but it's not quite on the coast where you can see the ocean. It, okay. You'd have to drive maybe like 30 minutes out. Or let's say 45. Close enough. (laughs) Yeah. Close enough. By American standards, everywhere is 40 minutes away from everywhere. So I would say, yeah, you're on the coast. Mm -hmm. So what was the contrast like for you as a 15-year-old who grew up in Flint River Mm -hmm. that had to move to the U.S.? And did you move with family or were you by yourself at the time when you moved? No. So my dad lived there um, way before, you know, my brother and I moved. So... Flint River in the U.S., or I should say Alexandria, which is where I first moved to in Virginia, it's two completely different places. In Jamaica, at least for the first like 13 years of my life, where I grew up in the country, there was like no electricity, no water, and 
you'd use like a kerosene lamp to get lights. And if you need water, you'd go to like a community pipe or you wouldn't really drink river water. But if you need drinking water, there's like a pipe in the community where you could get it for free. So you kind of move from there to here where you pre pretty much have everything at your fingertips. I can't even <laughs> imagine. I can imagine and at the same time I cannot imagine because in contrast to growing up in the city, <laughs> it's um because there are there are, my mom is from the Delta in Nigeria and although I think in my lifetime they've always had electricity, but I can imagine her, her village is not as developed as Lagos. So I can see the contrast and uh -huh. I can I can imagine, but at the same time I can't really imagine that you grew up completely without electricity and then you move to the US with everything running water. Yeah. Everything. What about yeah. transports? What was transport like in Flint River? So it's tricky, right? So the first 13 years of my life in Flint River, I didn't have electricity. But if I, when I would visit my mom, so I grew up with my grandparents in Flint River. So when I would visit my mom, she had electricity in the city. Okay. But that would just be like for short periods during the summertime. And then from age 13 to 15, I was living in a house where they had electricity and water. So I had a little bit of it back home. But I definitely, the majority of my life in Jamaica, it was using cursing lamp and those type of things, like study for school. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about... <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually excited. You should have a, an autobiography at some point so that people can experience both sides, what it was mm -hmm. like through your eyes. Yeah. Um, the terrain mm -hmm. of where you grew up, was it like rainforest or more shrubs and deserts did you ever have to do any agricultural farming mm -hmm. or any of those things a really good question so where i grew up was really in the forest it was sort of a forest like environment but it was where like a lot of people live like there were a lot of like houses in the community, in the community. that i lived in yeah. and I had a lot of neighbors but you'd really have to walk maybe like a mile from a main road which was still a pretty remote road to get to where i live so for a mile, you wouldn't be able to drive, at least not during the time when I was growing up. So, right. yeah, it was a lot of walking and a lot of, like, exercising. Okay. So did you learn how to grow crops yourself? Did you, what were your chores like? I don't think I want to oversell what I did. <laughs> I was able to plant a few items. Like, I was able to plant, like, a plantain okay. tree, I think a watermelon. But I do wish I did more with agriculture because my family had a lot of land in the mm -hmm. area it's very remote land but it's land where you could get cocoa um, mangoes and a lot of like fruits it's and not too late true <laughs> it's not too late yeah it's not too late but it sounds very exciting mm -hmm. so 15 year old Shanetta moves from flint river mm -hmm. to alexandria u.s and you get enrolled in school uh -huh. um how did you feel? Was it really a shocking difference to you? How was it like integrating to this new world, making friends, mm -hmm. considering, you know, where you were coming from? It was different. So in Jamaica, even though I grew up, you know, in a rural area, you know, pretty poor, but not really poor because you kind of live off the land. There's just so much food and excess just because you're in the countryside where a lot of things grow. Moving from there to here was a little bit different um, in that I was very happy in Jamaica. Oh, you okay? <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, I was very happy in Jamaica and my grandparents were super nice. I grew up with a lot of cousins. I was surrounded by a lot of love. But when I moved here, it was a little different because my dad, he wasn't really the nicest person. 
So, so was he working a lot as well? So. Yes, he was a truck driver. Oh, so he wasn't yeah. even really around that much? Mm-mm, not really. I would say he would go to work maybe like five days per week. It would seem like the next mm-hmm. two days. But it wasn't even about that. It was just like he wasn't nice. Was strict. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty hard when... Because I never... I didn't know him until I was about 13. And then I moved here when I was 15. So, you know, you don't really know what to expect. But it's tricky when a parent is absent completely. And then they're also mean on top of it, you know? So it was pretty tough. But, yeah. I was just going to say, I moved (laughs) Mm -hmm. to America just about three years ago, actually. Mm -hmm. Three years, kind of at the middle of this month. In a few weeks, it'll be Mm -hmm. three years on the dot since I moved to America. And my first year in America, I kept saying, I want to go home. I want to go home. What am I doing here? And this is me at about 35. So at 15, did you want to go home? You know, I don't remember wanting to go home. I just remember being in distress a lot, like mentally, if that makes sense. Just not being happy, but also being happy through like my friends and schools and other positive interactions, but just through interactions with the few family members who were here. I remember like experiencing a lot of like mental distress that, you know, was temporary because I wasn't always around them. Like I said, my dad was a truck driver, so I would only see him like two days out of each week or so. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, I can imagine that that was difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want to say I'm sorry you went through that because Mm -hmm. I feel like our lives are our lives and, you know, it's our crosses to bear. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's made you stronger for something else. Definitely, yeah. So let's talk about your hair and Uh you being Jamaican. Okay. So I think for everybody listening to this podcast, it Mm -hmm. might be like, yeah, she's Jamaican. Of course she has locks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And before we start talking about this, you were like, not that many people actually have locks. So in Flint River... Mm-hmm. If you're going to count the people who had locks, mm-hmm. since you kind of know everybody, would you say it's like 80% of the village? Oh, no. I would say more like 1% or 2%. It was very, very few people Are in you the guys community. really Jamaican? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was actually just a few people in Jamaica who had dreadlocks, especially when I was growing up. I would imagine now there's more people because like more black people are getting dreadlocks or some type of locks. But in Jamaica, there wasn't many people. Like, right. you know, Bob Marley, obviously, one of the biggest ambassadors of Jamaica. The biggest. Had locks. <laughs> yeah, you could even call him the biggest, honestly. <laughs> okay, so um, mm-hmm. would people usually wear perm or wear their natural hair? Mm-hmm. And when you decided to lock your hair, do you still go back home to Flint River? Um, yes, I went back in August, September time in 2023. And yeah. then seeing your family mm-hmm. and them seeing you with your locks. Was it like, why are you doing this? Or do they embrace it or it doesn't really matter? For me, it doesn't matter whether they (laughs) embrace it or not because it's my hair and that's how I like it. But people don't really make a big deal of it. I think back in the days, like maybe when I was going to school back in like the 90s or early 2000s, maybe people would have questions. But now there's a lot of people getting locks. It's like mainstream now. Definitely not 80% or 10% of the population, but there's enough people who have locks where... You know, it's kind it of has become a normal yeah. choice, mm-hmm. a normal way for you to wear your hair. Yeah. So your locks are relatively tiny. Uh-huh. They can actually be considered micro locks. They're not as tiny as sister locks, but they're quite yeah. tiny. Um, why did you choose to go this way? Because I didn't want it. So I have 250 locks. Oh, that's a lot. An estimate of 250. <laughs> so I didn't want it to be 100 more too than big. mine. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I like the small locks, but I didn't want it to be like 400. It would just be 
way too small and I feel like it would get, you know, knotted. So I opted for 250 or this size so that mm -hmm. it would just look small but not be too small. Okay. So, yeah, I just like the size of it. And then interestingly, mm -hmm. you intentionally also opted for the palm rolling method. Yes. Because when I did meet you, I know you booked a palm rolling appointment, uh -huh. but you knew your locks were tiny. So yeah. you had kind of given me some leeway. Mm -hmm. But your locks are beautiful, by the way. Oh, thank it's you. Very beautiful. And if I were to go as tiny as you mm -hmm. have them now, I probably would do the same thing. Oh, but nice. why palm rolling? Because nobody actually palm rolls micro locks. Yeah, palm rolling because I really like when... So when you first do like a retie, mm -hmm. is that what they call a, it? A retwist. A retwist, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the word. It just looks really neat and pretty and it just makes me look like I'm rocking locks. It's definitely yeah. much neater than the interlocking mm -hmm. method of, yeah. of getting your hair done. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. Um, now let's talk about work for a little bit. Mm -hmm. So... You kind of got integrated into the system, completed high school, mm -hmm. and you got a bachelor's. Yes. And a master's. Correct. And a PhD. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm stopping at a master's. I'm good. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And um, did you feel like being Jamaican, um, and I'm, I'm saying this from an African point of mm -hmm. view, where African parents are always like, you know, you need to do your master's. You need to set yourself apart. Do you feel like you had that pressure to continue academically up to your master's level it's kind of crazy right so i feel like my entire life growing up i really didn't have pressure i grew up with my grandparents so okay. <laughs> they're not going to pressure <laughs> you to do anything but i always did well in school you know but when i moved here my dad was a truck driver i was never the student who had to go home and show my parents a report card or answer to them but even then i still did well because i had pretty good you know academic discipline from jamaica but there was really never any pressure other than just me wanting to do well. Okay. I mean, my family have, you know, good expectations for me, but there was never any pressure from anybody. I don't know if that's good or bad, but I can't relate when people are like, oh, you know, man, I had to show my parents my report card. And I didn't have that growing up. <laughs> that's good. Good on yeah. you, because that speaks to your person, your character, your will, your drive. So that's actually quite admirable. Mm -hmm. Um on my side of things, I actually feel my parents didn't pressure me, but I know they would have been very disappointed if if I, I know at some point I didn't want to continue my master's. I said I wanted to do my master's in something else. I had this crazy idea that I wanted to travel to Australia for a year and take a year out. I had watched too many American movies. I want a year out. I want to go to the farthest place in the world. Of course, I didn't have any money to do that. And I was already enrolled in a master's program. And my mother was like, you better go get your master's. And um, eventually I did. And mm -hmm. I have no regrets Good. For, for doing Good. that. No regrets at all. Mm -hmm. So what kind of work have you done? And, you know, American kids grow up so fast. Yeah. And yeah. for you at 15 with a dad who was on the road, mm -hmm. um, I feel like you probably grew up even faster than the <sighs> average American American child. Not really. My child was like here was pretty boring. It was just be go to school, come home, come do back. homework, <laughs> do it again, <laughs> hang out with cousins. Yeah, it was pretty boring. Yeah. Uh, but maybe when I say grow up mm -hmm. fast, like you started to fend for yourself. I'm sure at that time a little bit, yeah. you were responsible for your meals. 
yeah. those five days a week. You're yeah, responsible that you ate. Though, so maybe he cooked before he left, but I don't remember cooking. You don't remember cooking, okay? <laughs> or maybe you ate out. No, definitely not eating out because you know you're in high school and I didn't have a job at the time. But I remember eating. You said you had a job yeah. at the time. I didn't have a job at okay, the time. Okay, didn't have a job. Yeah, at the time. So maybe he left food before you went on the road. That's okay. my guess. All right, all right, <laughs> okay, all right. I like the way you know. It's interesting that we we see ourselves in a mm -hmm. very interesting way. Yeah. So I was talking to somebody recently, and I said I went to, I was put into a paramilitary school, which is a school that is not. The military, yeah, but is run by the military in Ooh. Nigeria. Okay, so there's a lot of discipline mm -hmm. and expectations for you to keep up to time. There's a lot of discipline. There's a lot of <laughs> flogging and all of that. <sighs> um, but I, I was saying to someone that yeah, that I went to this boarding house, which was a paramilitary school, mm -hmm. and I was about eight going on nine when I got into the school, and mm -hmm. she was like in shock, like. Okay, like yeah. it was, I think it, it made me a stronger person, and okay. some of the ethic I have today yeah. is about that. So sometimes I'm just saying that I'm like, uh, I'm trying to say, oh, you grew up so fast, and mm -hmm. that was the way. And you're like, no, it was cool. It was all right. Yeah, we ate. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> everything was good. <laughs> so, but I, I yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. It's good when we have a positive outlook on life, yeah. and everything, or whatever we've been through. Mm -hmm. All right. So when was your first job? So my first job was babysitting during the summertime. It was probably when I was either 15 or 16. And it was in my aunt's neighborhood. She had a neighbor who lived across the street. And the husband, he would go to work. The wife was a stay-at-home mom. So during the summertime, she would hire myself, my cousin, and another neighbor's niece so all three of us would babysit our three kids oh one for each kid yes pretty nice much. what did she do she was a stay-at-home mom and yes. she had three babysitters uh-huh <laughs> during the summertime <laughs> and she'd pay all of us she'd give us cash it was like seven dollars an hour at the time so it's pretty good money want, back though. in the days <laughs> well good for you but by the time i have kids i want babysitters to just take care of them while i go mm -hmm. make my nails and yeah, <laughs> it was really fun, though. The kids were super sweet. Um, sometimes we'd go with her to, like, parks. You know, like, bringing three kids to, like, a theme park or a water park. It's a lot of work. So it was really nice. Like, she really appreciated having the help around. And it was just fun. Like, we were, we were kids. The babies These were, were kids. You know, so we are just having fun the entire oh, summer. That was yeah. cute. And you're making good money. Mm-hmm. At All the right. time, a teenager making $7 an hour. It was pretty decent. <laughs> so after that, what was your next job? So, huh, let's see. My next job, I was a resident advisor in college. Okay. So you're basically responsible for supervising the dorm hallway that you live on. So, like, for example, if you live in a dorm that has 10 floors, each floor would have a resident advisor or an RA. And you get paid for that? Mm-hmm. Do you get, yeah. you, do you apply for the position? I did, yeah. Okay. Actually, no, there was a job before that. I was an orientation program assistant. You like working, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I used to have little jobs like during the summertime during college. So I was, they call it OPA at James Madison University. So I worked as an orientation program assistant the summer after my first year in college. So, yeah. And then you did the RE. Mm -hmm. You were still in college when that was, when you, when you went RE because it was yeah. for the dorms. So I would work as a an OPA from like, maybe like 
the fall of my freshman year because that's when you begin training mm -hmm. to get ready for the next summer. And then when I came back in the fall, which was like August or September, that's when I began the RA job, which was during my second year in college. And then what did you do in your third year in college? I was an RA for RA. the remaining three years. You were the remaining three years. Mm -hmm. And then when you finished, did you go ahead and do your master's right after? Or did you take a break, get into the um, work-life corporate world? Yeah, or... I took a six-year break Yeah, okay. before I did my, my master's. Mm -hmm. And um, what were you doing in the six years? So... During the summer, so after I was no longer an RA during this, I mean, a, an orientation program assistant during the summer, while in college, I would work at Lowe's, which is a home okay. improvement store. So I did that for three summers while I was in college. And then during the year while I was in college, I would work as a, you know, resident advisor. And then after graduation, my first job was in a call center where okay. you just feel calls. <laughs> All right. Yeah. What kind of, what, what, um, what kind of call center was it? Was it one that took complaints? Did you ever get frustrated? Not really. It was a little different. So it was for a pharmaceutical company or a healthcare company. And it was basically a call center for patients who were on multiple sclerosis drugs. So my job at the call center was to talk to patients, talk to insurance companies, and talk to pharmacies to get patients their prescription for multiple sclerosis. Interesting. Yeah. Or specifically for MS. Mm -hmm. Only a mess, yep. Well, that's that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And then after that, what else? So I moved from the call center to a company called Shorescript. So they owned the network that routes prescriptions or electronic prescriptions across the U.S. So I worked for them for like about what a year. What did you study? I studied health sciences. Okay, because I was yeah. like, yeah, it seems <laughs> like this, this is sounding to be a very health. Mm -hmm. You just kind of went on that path yeah. of the health. Okay, all right. And so in your career, your career mm -hmm. has spanned how many years now? Like, um, It's been 13 years now. 13 years. Yeah. And you're still in the health industry. I'm still in health and I'm in IT, health and IT. So how did you go from call center, mm -hmm. um, the prescription, finding the prescription drugs uh -huh. to IT? So uh, because I worked at the call center, I was able to get my foot in the door at a an IT company. So Surescripts, they own the network that routes electronic prescriptions. So the job that I got there was an IT job, but it was also like healthcare and it was very entry level. So I got a chance to learn a lot of IT skills that I was able to use to move to other roles. So when you say yeah. IT skills or mm -hmm. coding, did you not do quite. JavaScript? No, or <laughs> not really. It wasn't that technical. It was more like, you know, hey, I tried to route a prescription and it didn't go through. What happened? And then I would look through, you know, different okay. codes. I can't remember like a lot about it right now, but I would look through like the different error codes that happened when the prescription was routed. And then I would figure out like, oh, you actually didn't include the patient's date of birth, so it's not going to go through. Can you try routing it with the date of birth again? So just simple things like that. Okay. It was like analyzing prescriptions to figure out what happened when what they were being wrong. routed. Making yeah. sure people get the right prescriptions mm -hmm. that they're supposed to get. Yeah, and just um, I did a lot with like switching um, healthcare providers, like hospital systems, physician offices from one electronic prescription system to, to another. another. Okay. Correct. I did a lot of that too. Okay. All mm -hmm. right. Yeah. The American um, healthcare system is, I feel like, the source of potentially a good chunk of America's GDP. So there's a lot of work. And a lot of variations of things that can be done there. So mm -hmm. I have experienced some parts of it myself. Mm -hmm. And I feel 
maybe I should reserve my comments about how I feel <laughs> about the healthcare system. I'm grateful for it, for it. I'm very grateful for it. It's definitely much better than my home country. At the same time, it can be scum. It can be so much better. Like, it really can. Yeah. Like... Yeah. But don't worry, we're not fixing America's problems today. Yeah. I'm just going to just and so that was six years, the six year break that you took between mm -hmm. college and then deciding to go get your master's. Yes. All right. And then you decided to do your master's in health. Well, not quite health. <laughs> so it was um a master's of business administration okay. at American University in DC. Why bizarre mean? Because I wanted to have that business knowledge, you know, for Potential future entrepreneurship opportunities. Ah, I see <laughs> so it's what like you're thinking saying. ahead, even though I'm not doing it yet. I, we don't yeah. discuss a lot of plans about <laughs> business ideas when you come to get your head done in the salon. I don't even want to expose a lot of them on this podcast. So nobody steals our fantastic ideas. Um, so you did your master's in business administration. Was it a one-year program? No. Um, so I took my time. I told you already that I don't ever have pressure so I really went in in 2016 and I finished in 2019 so I really took my took sweet time. time I took uh, yeah. that was where you met Brandon <laughs> yes I did <laughs> <laughs> so how did this love story start we've been talking about work it's beginning to sound stressful let's talk mm -hmm. about love Sure. So Brendan and I had a few classes together, but I would always tell him that every time I used to see him in class, I would think he was from like Sudan. I don't know why I chose Sudan, but I was like, oh, he looks, I don't know. There's not a, people from Sudan don't have a look. But when I would see him, I'd be like, oh, I wonder if he's from Sudan. Has he done his ancestry? Um, Yeah, he did it. Is there Sudan in it? Not really. <laughs> it's Nigerian. It's Nigerian. Uh -huh. uh, okay. Mostly Nigerian. Mm -hmm. Like how many percent? Oh gosh, it was a lot. Maybe like more than 60. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. So interesting story. I actually just got my ancestry result back today. How was it? I'm curious. I was saying that if it came back with anything other than Nigerian, uh -huh. we had to sue the company. Oh. But it says I'm 86% Nigerian. And the other two are from West Africa. The other two markers oh. in my DNA are apparently from Benin and Togo. Okay. So that's, that's really nice because that's not too far from Nigeria. It's one neighbor's. We're yeah. the same people. Wow. I actually feel like on the borders, we speak the same, we would wow. be speaking the same language if not for mm -hmm. colonialism and some yeah. of the French influence and all of that over the years. So I'm from that's a very, amazing. very narrow down specific part of the world. So that's, yeah. <laughs> that's us. Did you ever get your ancestry done? I did, yeah. And where are you from? It was majority Nigeria. <laughs> and then I have family in East Africa. Um, Ghana was also a big percentage. Okay, so let's give you a Nigerian name. <laughs> <laughs> well, Have you been it. giving a Nigerian name? No, not yet. Oh, let's see. Ah, My Ghanaian I mean, name is Ajwa, but not a, I don't have a Nigerian name yet. What Ghanaian name? Okay, because you have Ghanaian ancestry as Correct. well mm -hmm. that you are aware of, uh -huh. right? Yeah. But you are aware of any of your direct Nigerian relatives? No, not yet. Other than who is on, you know, 23 and Okay, yeah. so were you able to find some people who are related to you? Oh, yeah. They'll tell you exactly, like, you know, different people who are related to you in all parts of the world. But I've never actually, like, reached out to, like, anybody, you know, in Nigeria or so, Ghana. Okay. Yeah. All My right. cousin did. She actually made a trip to Nigeria. I'm not sure which company she went through, but she actually went to Nigeria to meet, like, relatives. That's yeah. 
fascinating. Mm -hmm. I haven't even looked at the details of it. I just <laughs> saw it when I was on my way here. It's amazing. So we'll see. I'll see if I have any relatives I already do not know. And um, I, I actually took it because I was curious. Mm -hmm. My mom is fair-skinned and she has this curly hair and I'd been suspecting that there's something in your blood that doesn't mm -hmm. seem quite 100% Nigerian. Yeah. But, well, the DNA says it's 101%. Huh. So, but... You would have seen like none African DNA. No, it's all really it's all West Africa. Huh. Interesting. hundred percent West Africa. Okay. So I'm like, I don't know. So maybe No something Middle Eastern, nothing? Nothing. Wow, okay. Nothing. Most people in Jamaica and like the US, no matter like how dark your skin though you are you're always gonna have a little bit of something European. European <laughs> you know. Hmm. So yeah. Well, I'm a pure breed. That, that much I we mean, know. I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. so um, you thought this guy was from Sudan. Let's not get distracted from the love story. You're trying to take oh, yeah. me somewhere else. <laughs> True. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was just a funny story. Like, you couldn't tell me he wasn't from Sudan. And like I said, people from Sudan do not have a certain look. But that was just me That was what was in your head. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And then how did you guys start talking? So we had like, so at American University, they have what you call like immersions where you can go to either Washington because our program was online. Okay. And it was like, you had to be on video. They were very strict about like you showing your face during classes, uh, but they would force you to come to the campus in DC, or you could go to different cities across the US or even different countries. Like they had trips to like San Francisco, New York, China, you know, places in Africa, um, Canada. South America, but the trip that I decided to go to was the one for Canada, which was um, Toronto and Montreal. And Brandon was also on that trip as well. Okay, so that's so. that's where the connection. Yes, that's where the connection started, <laughs> mm -hmm. and you guys hung out in Canada, and so the rest is history. We didn't really like hang out, hang out one on one, but he was around our group. I think I gave one of my friend credit for you know getting us to talk more. Um, her name is Hans and she's from New York and she was um, one of my group members and she was like so you know Brandon seems to be interested in you <laughs> and then they would kind of make fun of me like when Brandon would come around and I would say hi and would talk a little bit they would be like oh Shanetta who's this guy <laughs> <laughs> so yeah like Hans was like oh Brandon you know when you go back you guys should talk more or something like that and you know also shoot my shot I would say I shot the first Oh, shot. you shot right. your shot. Yeah. <laughs> if that's the way to say it. I was the first the one who made the first move. Okay. okay. Yeah. Oh, I didn't think Brandon was that shy. I, don't, I mean, he's reserved, but he's, I don't think he's super shy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. So you shot your shots. <laughs> you took your shot. And um, the rest is history. Yes. How long have you been married now? So we've been married since November of 2021. But we didn't get married officially in front of friends and family until, I mean, October 16th, 2022. 2022. So, so you've been married for about two years. About two years through the court and then like official wedding day walking down the aisle for one year. Congratulations. Thank you. So which day is your wedding anniversary? Which one would you, <laughs> which one, which one is your wedding anniversary? The 2021 one or the 2022? 2022. But okay. we're planning to celebrate both. Okay. Because... You know, <laughs> why not? And yeah. did you go back to Jamaica for um, the your wedding? 
Not quite. So my cousin was getting married in Jamaica, and it happened to be our anniversary weekend, so we went for that. Oh, okay. Because that weekend is actually a very popular anniversary weekend. Even at our wedding, there were like several couples there who were celebrating their anniversary, same day. So, yeah. Awesome, mm-hmm. awesome. By the way, Brandon is a fantastic guy. Oh, and he, you. I'm just going to put a plug for him on the podcast. If you are anywhere in the DMV mm-hmm. and you're looking to rent a house, buy a house, Brandon is your guy. The townhouse which I live in now, he was the one who arranged it. He was awesome. He was patient. He was kind. And that whole thing happened at the silent chair, actually. So I should say that story. Um, so Shanetta comes to do her hair. Shanetta comes to do her hair at the salon. And I was using one of his websites. I don't remember which one even to try to find a house. And mm-hmm. I thought I had found this lovely house in Colesville and Silver Spring. I already had dreams of, you know, packing the car. There was like a nice lawn at the back. I was like, we could have some plants. It could be some mm-hmm. garden. I was already thinking about all these things. And then the landlady called me to kind of get more information to see if I could be her tenant and then she's like yeah so I have a tenant in the basement I have a tenant in the attic and my heart sank no I was like no I don't want to move from an apartment to another apartment Mm -hmm. and she happened to be doing her hair that day and she's like well my husband is a realtor and you don't have to pay him he can show you houses for free Mm -hmm. I was like what (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) and I think we've become friends since then so Brandon, thank you very much. I wish you were here today. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I did try to, you know, get him to tag along, but he was so busy at work. So next time. <laughs> next time. You know, he's bald. If not, would have locked his head too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, yes. How did you find me? Oh, good question. So I was looking on Style Seat and I was trying to, you know, look for locticians who have really, really good ratings. And I looked at your profile and saw that every single rating, at least from what I remember, was a five-star rating and like really nice like testimonies from clients. So I was like, actually, I'm going to go with Ade. And then I also noticed that you did palm rolling, which you don't find a lot, you know, a lot of like listed services that are provided by locticians don't have palm rolling. So because I wanted to continue palm rolling my hair. I chose you for that reason too. Awesome. I'm yeah. happy you found me because <laughs> it's been you. a great friendship. Mm-hmm. And you. did you do your hair yourself before? No, I've never tried. I actually had a loctician. Um, her name was Shaquita and she was from Lock and Curls. And she was actually in the same building that you used okay. to be in. And But she moved from that building to D.C. So it was a little hectic to travel back and forth between, okay. you know, here and D.C. So I switched to your salon. And then now I moved to VA. I'll be following you, don't worry. <laughs> I don't mind driving to VA because I'm sure parking will be easy. I'm not a big fan of city parking. Three-hour free parking for the first three hours. I'll and take even it. a few clients that have stayed above, <laughs> uh, over three hours mm-hmm. said it, it still didn't get charged. Parking is basically Excellent. free and it's, everything is chill. Yeah, on, like on free the other parking side of... is a big deal when it comes on to going to get your hair done. Okay. Um, now that we are both like in our late 30s mm-hmm. and... Um, married and you know motherhood is like the next thing that is knocking at the door Uh and we do know that you're expecting yes what does it (laughs) feel like to be expected it feels good it feels good um earlier today i was thinking to myself that you know those rare stories where women are like i had no idea i was pregnant I've been feeling pregnant. Like there's so many things that are going on. And I'm like, wow, how is that even possible? 
obviously it's possible because it happens to quite a few people, but I, I was just wondering how do people get pregnant and not know for nine months? That they must be pregnant. lucky. Yeah. <laughs> So how does but, it how does how does it feel to have something growing inside you? It feels really good. I feel blessed. You know, very happy. You know, there <laughs> I have my ups and downs because sometimes I do get tired and sleepy and then I also experience like a little bit of like pain or they call it growing pain. I'm not sure if that's the medical name for it. But you know, other than that, I feel really blessed and happy. Well, I know where I'll be coming to for all the advice and who I'll be calling for. Like, oh, how did you feel? Is this normal? Yeah. Should I call a doctor? I'll be here. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. I'm very, very happy for you. Thank you. Have you been reading any books on what to expect, what you expect? And I believe that is the popular name of a book. Yeah. Yeah. So have you been reading? Are you prepping? So I've been looking around for things that I need for the baby, but I haven't quite read anything yet, but I've been watching a lot of videos and looking at social media pages that are like dedicated to like helping new parents or pregnant moms, but I do need to read some more. I'm sure AI yeah. is feeding you all the information already. Yeah, it's pretty bad. It's really bad. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, every other post is about a pregnant person or... How they're, you know... Yeah. Do you plan on having um, mm-hmm. a gender reveal, a baby shower, and all the new age fanfare that comes with becoming a new mom? So definitely not a gender reveal because I found out the gender like at maybe like 12 weeks, super early. So we're having a girl. But, okay, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Interestingly, yeah. you know, we were having this conversation the mm-hmm. other day, Yomi and I. Um, when I do get pregnant, mm-hmm. I actually do not want to know the gender until... Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> until it comes. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> and then we could buy just beige and... Yeah. I don't know, gray. <laughs> I think that's okay. Clothes. I mean, people do that. I would. I don't yeah. know if it's possible to not. I, I. I think I would really like to wait to know to be surprised. People do do that though. As long as you, I've heard of people getting surprised with twins. So I don't know how far of a Ooh. surprise you. Want. <laughs> no. <laughs> if I'm having two, I'd like to know. <laughs> I'd yeah. like to know. But yeah, I think that's cute too. I like that though. But I don't know. I think. The reason why I wanted to know, there's a lot of girls in the family. So it really is, and you know, it's advantageous to know whether I'm having a girl or boy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Mm-hmm. All right. And for the baby yeah. shower, let's mm-hmm. plan it now. Who <laughs> am I calling? What ha- are their names? Um, who's the lady who... who I'll send who, yeah, just send me a list of the people that I'm supposed to call. Okay. Let me know what you want. Cool. You know... Um, what month is it going oh, to be around so that we know exactly what we're going to be doing? Thank you can, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Adi. <laughs> we have to know. We have to plan this Nigerian sure. style. You know, you're, yourself and Brandon are Nigerians. I do and we, Nigerian, we go all out. <laughs> we go all out. So we have to go all out. Well, you're majority Nigerian. We win. You know that there's an ongoing rift between Ghanaians and Nigerians. Really? We're always in competition. Really? Nigerians always win. Well, you're like siblings, though. But we're the better sibling. <laughs> I think I'm gonna apologies, step apologies to all Ghanaians out there, but you I'm all know. I'm gonna have to stand on the corner right here. You all know that we are the better siblings. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking a little bit about entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. you always have these fantastic ideas. You do some. You find the best deals. I try. 
different places mm-hmm. i know you have interest in jewelry yeah and then when you were telling me some things the other day my eyes were like oh my god she wants to sell diamonds that's yeah. a lot how much is a diamond <laughs> do i even want to carry that kind of merchandise mm-hmm. my head was ringing all over the place and all yeah. of that so you do have an entrepreneurial mind have you mm-hmm. dabbled into anything entrepreneurial so far not really um the only thing i've done so far when i was in college i used to sell on ebay but it wasn't really not to make a profit. It was just because I loved That's the, entrepreneurial. the operation side of it. Yeah. But I still have my mind on eventually creating a jewelry company. Why did you stop selling on eBay? Because I wasn't making money from it. And it was just a passion. <laughs> uh, okay. What did you yeah. learn? What's it like to sell on eBay? I just used to sell clothes, like clothes, shoes. So where do you yeah. get the clothes from? Macy's or... Just random clothing stores. Like people go in there and look for very, very specific items. So let's say you want to get a top from J. Crew, but it's sold out and they don't have your size. You just go to eBay, type in the name, the, not make, but you know how they give clothing Clothes, like name, yeah. like, you know, the Shanetta top mm-hmm. or the Shanetta dress. Like just type that into eBay and you might find the outfit that you're looking for. So people would buy very specific things. So I would just sell a lot of stuff on there. Yeah. Shoes was a big thing, yeah. But would you you would carry them for you? You would carry. You have to buy the merchandise, mm-hmm. keep it, and hope that somebody buys it. Yes, I used to sell what I had already. Sometimes it was used because okay. people buy used items on there. Sometimes I just had it and it was just sitting, and I would just put it on there, and people would bid on it. So it was just fun. <laughs> I've actually never used eBay. Yeah, funny enough. Mm-hmm. So is it a bidding system all the time? On eBay? Um, no, you have um, Buy Now. There's okay. an option called Buy It Now. Haven't been on there in years, so I'm not sure like how much it has changed. Maybe. But there's a bidding option and a Buy It Now option. I've gotten good things on there. Like there was this one time when my TV went out and I was able to buy the parts on there to like fix it. So they have some really good specific stuff that they sell if you need it. Yeah. Does eBay sell services as well? Mm, not no. that I know of. Mostly products but yeah there was something that yeah. was coming to my head about mm-hmm. the no, that was craigslist yeah let's not go there <laughs> there was i think i watched a documentary or docufilm oh, or film on craigslist about the craigslist killer yes. about somebody who was selling massages mm-hmm. or you know yeah anyway i tried to stay away from all those things technology mm-hmm. is beginning to scare me yeah i'm beginning to feel like my mother like the <laughs> <laughs> no, craigslist has some pretty bad things on there yeah yeah well well mm-hmm. This is not not an ad for Craigslist, Mm -hmm. so I'm sure there's some things you might be able to find there that might be okay, but, well, be careful. The internet is the world. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so with eBay, you Mm -hmm. say you want to start a jewelry company Mm -hmm. or jewelry line, a product line. Do you have any idea how, let's brainstorm about how Mm -hmm. you're going to go about this. How do you think you're going to start Sure. Where would you get this? Is it going to be stones? Is it going to be rings or just mm-hmm. necklaces that are free stuff? Would it be um, costume? Would mm-hmm. you start with costume or would you just... Have you ever sold jewelry? Um, not yet. I've bought, you know, samples to like try them out, see how they look. Like these earrings that I have were, are actually just samples. They're pearl earrings with 14 karat um, gold back. Mm-hmm. And then even the whatever this is called. The pearl? Yeah. Well, not the pearl, but the butterfly bag. Okay. Yeah. So these are all just samples that I've purchased over the years just to try them out and see if if it's real. Mm -hmm. Um, And with the gold back is for those of us that usually have 
allergies to metal yeah, right so correct. that you don't you don't react i got yep. some really cute mm-hmm. earrings from loft mm-hmm. actually two days ago i wore yeah. them yesterday and my ears hurt mm-hmm. so I was like, yeah Ugh. you might Can have an it? allergy to it yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah. i think the metal isn't good um so why drury because it's small like you know if you're for example if you buy an earring the package is going to be very small so if you're like a for me, at least from my thinking or my perspective, if I live at home and I'm trying to run a business outside of out of my home, I can easily just package something that's very small and ship it and store it as well. And it doesn't take up too much space. So I was just looking at starting small. So that's why I did Troy. Okay. Yeah, because it's not a lot of storage space at all. But it's a lot yeah. of money, though. So starting mm-hmm. small, it's not small storage space, but I think it's like a huge capital investment. It is, yeah. And the risk of what mm-hmm. if this sells or do- doesn't sell? How long would you hold your merchandise for? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just thinking through. Those and I'm a questions. big skeptic. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a big skeptic when it comes to entrepreneurship. And mm-hmm. I should tell a little bit of a story. <laughs> so um, 21 year, I can't remember mm-hmm. what year now. A few years ago, um, I did work with an online shopping company, okay. like an e-commerce company called Conga in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. And um, I knew somebody who was moving away from the country, moving away from Nigeria mm-hmm. and had these bags that she had imported from China okay. and was selling on the platform. Mm-hmm. I had the impression that the bags were doing so well on the platform. So I decided to buy the business okay. from her and I thought it was going to be a no-brainer. Yeah. Um, I didn't know anything about bags. Mm-hmm. I just had the impression that the business was yeah. was doing well and I acquired the bags mm-hmm. and it became a nightmare. I couldn't sell the bags because I was not a great salesperson yeah. for the bags. Yeah. It wasn't, I could sell locks to mm-hmm. a white person yeah. <laughs> and I, but I couldn't sell bags because I, I I usually have, I've been carrying that backpack for. <laughs> yeah. Is it one of the bags or no? No, no, oh, okay. no, yeah. no. Those <laughs> bags give me PTSD. <laughs> if I saw any of them, I'm like, I don't want to have anything to do with these bags. Yeah. But I couldn't sell them. They didn't, mm-hmm. I thought people would just order them and I'll just ship them. I mm-hmm. thought that was all I had to do, but it would have required a bit more marketing and for uh, me to understand yeah. the bags were also begin. I had them for a long time. So they started to naturally yeah. wear and tear yeah. and um that experience made me feel like okay i'm going to ask questions before yeah. i invest in any business mm-hmm. i also have to make sure that i understand the product mm-hmm. have at least some desire and knowledge about the product before yeah. i go into it mm-hmm. so with jewelry is this how did your relationship with jewelry start sure so it started because it was just the thing that came to mind when I first started to, you know, think about being an entrepreneur, like, you know, it's a small item. It takes very small amount of storage space for somebody who's not looking to open like a storefront. And then it just gives you an avenue to be very creative. So if you're starting a jewelry line, you have the option to actually design your own jewelry box with like your name on it. Not my actual name, but just whatever brand name you want to use. Mm -hmm. You could design like bags that you could put the jewelry in so for example if it's an e-commerce platform if let's say your husband comes in and like buys a piece of jewelry for you online Mm -hmm. i I wouldn't just send him just the piece of jewelry but it would be in a nice pretty gift box and a bag as well so it would look like he went to like a store and bought it for you so it would be like a luxury item that you can get online 
and I started a relationship with a jewelry company, a jewelry wholesaler. I've had a relationship with them for years now. I haven't quite used it much, but I've had it for years. And, you know, they sell every type of jewelry. If you want lab diamond, you can get it there. If you want real diamonds, you can get it there. They have a lot of gold, silver, a lot of other precious, you know, stones. So whatever you want in terms of jewelry, like they definitely have it and they're reliable as well. And you don't need to hold on to merchandise. So, for example, if you order something from me, obviously you wouldn't expect me to ship it the very next day. So how the process works is you'd place an order, then I would place an order with the wholesaler. And as long as you place the order before 2 p.m., they'll ship it to you the next day. Using and the they ship directly from... From the jeweler to, to your home, and the but not to the also, client. Okay, to so your home, and then you customize the packaging. Exactly. And so that's the work Because that that's something do. I really want to do. I want to make sure, like, you know, it looks good. It's in good condition. It's packaged well on the box. So I wouldn't want to give that to them. Yeah. 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 I think it's an interesting concept, mm-hmm. and um, it's definitely doable as far mm-hmm. as you understand what you're getting. Yeah. And do you, how, how have you thought about, I know you haven't started mm-hmm. yet, and mm-hmm. you've been thinking about it. Um, how do you intend to market this? Definitely social business. media marketing. So not just, you know, Instagram or Facebook, but Google ads and also marketing on every platform. So you have Bing, you have mm-hmm. Google, then you have Instagram, Facebook, any possible outlet that you can find to market on you should you know, that's what I plan to do. Yeah. So is this a twenty twenty four? Project. I know we have another project <sighs> cooking in the tummy, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like, um, I even have, I already got my boxes made. I just need to put the information online. I haven't quite gotten to that part yet, but I did design my own like jewelry boxes. Do you have a website? Um, yes, but it's more of like a website that the company gives to you. So I want to create my own website where right. I can like put that page on the website. Cause, so if I wanted to order yeah. jewelry like now, mm-hmm. would I, would I be able to go on there and actually order something? Have you, you sold can. anything? From no, I haven't website? tried to sell anything. This is from there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Brandon. Okay. All right. All yeah. right. All right. I'll ask you about how much yeah. it costs afterwards. Did you did you pick it? Did you do the? So oh. I I picked it and but he did the whole process. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Makes a lot of sense. It's very legit. Yeah makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. oh that's interesting <laughs> so um yesterday was halloween technically mm-hmm. did you guys get up to anything for halloween not really we don't really <laughs> celebrate it we don't we're not against halloween but we don't really celebrate it much so we just stayed home and chilled and i do yeah. know brandon is mm-hmm. seven day adventist yes yeah. are you seven day adventist as I'm well to this from Jamaica, so Jamaican Methodist. <laughs> <laughs> the way yeah. you say it, you're like, that's different from Methodist here. Well, not really. So I grew up Methodist in Jamaica. So I'm from a very, very big family. And we have all sorts of different, like, denominations, Christian mm-hmm. denominations in the family. So my mom, I'm not even the same denomination as my mom. My grandma was Methodist. My grandpa, not quite. My mom is um evangelical Christian. Okay. Then I have a lot of family members who are like Pentecostals. So we're just all over the place in terms of denomination. So by saying from Jamaica, it's just that I grew up Methodist from when I was a kid. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Get yeah. <laughs> and um, so being married to somebody mm-hmm. who is in the same religion as yeah. you are, but 
quite different because mm-hmm. I know that the Seven Day Advances they worship on Saturday. Saturday, they yeah. don't eat no pork mm, or shrimp pork, or shrimp. shellfish. Yeah, but they do chicken and beef. Some of them. There's some who are complete vegans. Some are complete vegetarians. Some are pescatarians. So it varies. Okay, depends yeah. on what you want to do. You pick, pick and choose. Um, it seems so because some <laughs> people just do are actually Seven Day Adventists who happen to be vegan. So have you considered yeah. converting into becoming a Seventh-day Adventist? Mm-mm, I'll still stay Methodist because the way I grew up, there's just so many people in my family from different denominations. So it's almost like, you know, my view on it is like, what's the point of like getting dragged here and there in terms of people? Because I have Jehovah Witness family members who, if they could tomorrow, they would convert me. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I just will stick to Methodist. What you, yeah. What you mm-hmm. And when... Baby comes and baby gets older. Mm-hmm. Have you guys had that discussion of what you would like her to be? Probably. I feel like Brendan would want her to be um, Seventh-day Adventist. Yeah. But I just care that she's a really good Christian who treats people well and is a really good person. I think that's one yeah. of the most important things. Mm-hmm. Are you apprehensive about raising a kid in America? Not really. I think, you know, I feel like anywhere, raising kids anywhere is really a challenge. I feel like... You know, the most we can do is try to be very present parents and intentional or well-intentioned parents. And hopefully, you know, that's good enough. But I feel like anywhere that you're raising kids is, would be challenging. I'm not a mom, so I can't really, you know, <laughs> have that perspective. You're but, almost, yeah. almost there. Almost mm-hmm. there. I would say it's expensive to raise them in America, but... <laughs> yeah. You should yeah. have a diaper party, though. I, I remember you telling me that, so, uh-huh. Yeah. Because I did um, meet someone mm-hmm. who had told me that they had a diaper party and it was like a year into the child's life and they hadn't had to buy one diaper. That's amazing. And I was like, that's a, that's the party you should have, not a gender reveal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we definitely opted to not have a gender reveal party. It would just yeah. be too much logistics and I don't know. I just, no offense to anybody who have them, you know, but I'm okay with not having one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm probably tired and i need some more tea because i was gonna be like yeah Aww. i don't i don't know about this gender reveal because like growing up mm-hmm. these things didn't exist yeah and i feel it's become social media pressure mm-hmm. and the pressure to even do like the pregnancy photo shoot yes the whole <laughs> nine yards of you know all of that mm-hmm. I, I think being happy and being true to yourself is more important yeah than any show for anything and Mm -hmm. if if a gender reveal is something that you know i can imagine some people go through a lot yeah to be able to even get to that point Mm -hmm. and if you want to celebrate every point yeah of the process and the journey Mm -hmm. who am i to judge true who am i to judge or personally for myself like i'm saying i don't even want to know the gender of the kid until (laughs) until i have it so when yeah. when the baby pops out, it's like, hey, reveal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was thinking too, even like, you know, if somebody had, you know, hasn't really had a family get together for a very, very long time, I feel like a gender reveal party would be like a really good opportunity to kind of get everybody together. But I feel like Brendan and I have been going to so many different events in the past like year or so. I feel like we'd be okay without trying to drag everybody <laughs> to a gender reveal, you know. Maybe a baby shower, but a gender reveal, not at this time. A baby shower is yeah. going to be awesome. I need to mm-hmm. come. And I, oh, I know. Thank I, you. We need, to, we need to be there. You need thank to you. tell me. And I'll I, definitely you, put you on the list for sure. Yeah. Well, well, the, or 
How does mm-hmm. how do baby showers work? You're not supposed to do any organizing. We organize a baby shower for you. True, <laughs> but I mean, I'll help with whatever you know, whatever I can do. That you're so I'll kind help and you're so chilled. You have <laughs> no stress at all. Thank um, you. There's one issue I want us to mm-hmm. speak about. Yeah. Um, being a migrant in the mm-hmm. country, integrating very young. Mm-hmm. I know race is always a very big topic in. America, yeah, and um, for the past almost thirteen years, you've also worked corporate. Mm-hmm. Uh, how has your gender and your race affected your life here? Yeah, it's it's been pretty bad. I mean, a lot of times, just look at it as this, right? Like, so if a white person's like listening to this podcast, and let's say they're a manager, you know, when a black person comes and does an interview with you in your office to get a job. There are a lot of things that they're telling you, and there's also a lot of things that they're not telling you. Nobody's going to come to you and tell you, hey, I had a really bad, you know, racist experience at my previous company. Most times people just kind of bury those feelings and just try to move on. But racism is a very real nasty thing in the workplace in America. It's pretty bad. And, you know, I mean, the more experience you have in, you know, the corporate field is the more... You navigate it? Yeah, you deal with it better, but it hasn't really gone away. I feel like there's a lot of like gatekeepers in corporate America who are there to kind of keep certain people from reaching certain, you know, milestones in their career. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it's really good to have like, you know, different opportunities outside of work sometimes so that you're not limited ever. Yeah. Have you had any particularly bad experiences Mm -hmm. personally? Yeah, I mean, I would say from when I was a kid, even in Jamaica, Flint River, like rural Jamaica. I remember when I was a kid, I think I was um, maybe second grade. There were like some white missionaries who came from Indiana and uh, they came to Flint River and they would like get bused from like the tourist area into our community to do vocational Bible school. One of the things that they would teach us is they would teach us like colors. So like they, they were like younger kids than myself. So that's why I would be learning colors, you know. So they would mm-hmm. hold up like different like sheets of paper. And I remember one of them being white and they'll be like, this means glory. And then <laughs> for the black one, they would say sin. So I'm thinking of like, you're from America. It's the 90s or the, I think it was in the 90s, actually. Why would you leave a country that's dealing with like crazy racial tension Disparity and problems? and all of that. And you're from the South, Indiana. Why would you come to a black country and teach kids that black is sin? So, you know, that was like my first racist experience that I wasn't even aware of. It was when I was like in the third grade or second grade, I was repeating what I learned. And this army and military neighbor corrected me. So that was my first racist experience. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting that... um mm-hmm. um I don't even know what words to use. Mm-hmm. Should I say colonialism, racism, missionary? Mm. Yeah. All of that. The missionary part, it mm-hmm. feels like some of it is intended for good, but a lot of it has been used to control mm-hmm. and, you know, destroy us as yeah. black people. And coming from a majority black country, which Jamaica is as well, mm-hmm. Sometimes it can be hard for me to understand. I don't think understand is the right word, but mm-hmm. it can be hard for me to even know when somebody is being 
racially abusive mm -hmm. in a situation because people are people and yeah. there are stupid people everywhere. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you don't need to be upset and race to behave inappropriately. Sure. And so when people of a certain color act inappropriately, the first thing that comes to mind for me is that you're just being inappropriate. Yeah. Not because of, you're not doing what you're doing because yeah. of what I am. Mm -hmm. But the more time I spend in America, the more I begin to see oh, yeah, that some yeah. things are very yeah. difficult. I know people who have been, you know, there's, there's a funny story I heard mm -hmm. recently from one of my friends who's been at this job for four years, going on five years, mm -hmm. has a master's degree, black nigerian yeah and um he hasn't been he hasn't been promoted at work and <laughs> there's another lady who has been at the job for half the time she's a dance major so she went to school for ballet so they're doing the same work and i'm not saying she's an adequate in mm -hmm. her job but she mm -hmm. had been promoted about three times that's very common <laughs> so very, very common. i'm like yeah i'm like mm -hmm. oh my friend, are you sure you're doing what you're supposed to do? Maybe yeah. this girl is doing a little bit more. No. But there's no justification aside from the fact that it might just be race. Mm -hmm. And those things are very difficult for me to, to justify. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of scary mm -hmm. now that I do live here yeah. to say, how how do you really navigate these issues? Is, is, there, is it going to get better from here? Well, I mean, yes, the people who are like gatekeepers who can prevent you from getting promoted or, you know, get a raise. Yes, they have power, but you also have more power. And my way of dealing with it has always been to just leave. Like, I'm not saying you're running from your problems, but if you're at a company and you're there for like three years or four years and you feel like you deserve a promotion and you want a promotion and they're not promoting you, just look for a job that's like one or two levels up and just move, you know, get more money. But sometimes people do work for companies where everything is just perfect. And yes, they want the promotion and they're get, they're not getting it, but they really want to continue working there. Maybe it's closer to home. Maybe the money's good. Mm -hmm. Maybe they like the work that they do. So some people stay for various reasons. It's pretty complicated. But my way of dealing with it has always been to just leave and give myself the promotion which is, you know, get a better job. Yeah. Yeah, the issues of race mm -hmm. are very complex because on one hand, mm -hmm. you think about why shouldn't I fight it? Yeah. Why shouldn't I, you know, stay and mm -hmm. ask for what I have worked for and mm -hmm. fully well-deserved and everybody knows that I deserve this mm -hmm. and nobody wants to be the mad black woman in the room as well yeah who is screaming because you kind of taint yourself in a bad way when you start to fight the system it's hard yeah it, it's hard it's difficult i think things have changed a little bit right so mm -hmm. i do believe now that people are more aware of what's going on and they're also more aware of like the options that they have and i would say that if someone feels like they're being discriminated against they definitely should formally report it just put it on paper because chances are you might not be the only person who has been discriminated against. And if a certain boss has three complaints, HR might want to start looking into it because nobody wants to get sued. No company wants to get sued. So I've had friends work at companies where they got let go and what HR told them was like next time you notice things or sense things, you have to report it right away because that's the only time we can actually do Absolute. something about it. 
Yeah. But you know, I can understand why somebody mm-hmm. doesn't report something because yeah. you also don't want to be alienated, especially if you're there's a chance you might be staying at that company and you'll be the one who sure. snitched. Let me put it that way. But things have changed <laughs> a lot though. Like I, I don't encourage obviously Sometimes, you know, when you're dealing with conflict at work, you kind of, especially if you're new, you want to kind of learn the terrain, mm-hmm. learn the different people who are around you and kind of figure out how the company dynamics are before you start to like yell or complain or do anything crazy. But at the same time, you know, I mean, the way I see it is if I go to work and somebody's causing crazy distress, I'm going to take that distress home. Yeah. So I would encourage anybody to leave that distress at work. So leaving it at work could mean you have a conversation with the person who's causing problems or you report them and let them deal with the distress so you can go home peacefully. Because, you know, nobody deserves to like create, I mean, nobody's entitled to create distress in other people's life just for fun. And then you're miserable at home and they're home, you know, smiling and giggling after they have caused, you know, havoc in your life. So just report it. Like I'm 100% for reporting problems. The yeah. experience at work, especially if it's racist yeah. or sexist. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I think mm-hmm. that's the only way because uh, not reporting, saying mm-hmm. nothing sometimes enforces and empowers yeah. the person who is at wrong. Mm-hmm. If they want to retaliate, you have other options, but at least report it. Don't just not do anything at all. Well, but do yeah. you ever feel like, you know, mm-hmm. as a black person, mm-hmm. do you ever feel sometimes that we we throw the race card so every single thing that happens like you know yeah no like you don't really. do you yeah. don't do your part and then mm-hmm. five seconds later you're like oh is it because i'm black yeah <laughs> not really i mean i've worked in the system well i've gone through the school system mm-hmm. you know the work system where i know like you know when people scream racism it's a very real true nasty thing that you know black people or non-white people actually deal with and I would say to like, for somebody like me, when I was younger, like, and just starting out my career, I wasn't always somebody who spoke up. Like, there's a lot of crap that I, you know, we'll dealt with without saying anything at all, you know, mm-hmm. and looking back in hindsight, I wish I had actually spoke up more, you know, so going forward, you know, even if it means somebody fires me because I speak up against something, you know, so be it. But some of the things that I dealt with when I was younger, I'm not going to take the same thing at my age. Just yeah. no. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we age definitely mm-hmm. comes more boldness. Mm-hmm. And with a baby on the way, you're yeah. going to have to be protecting a lot more than mm-hmm. yourself. Yeah. So um, that's kind of like where it is. So I have one final question sure. for you before we kind of wrap this up. Mm-hmm. And it's about your accents. Yeah. So you have a Jamaican accent. Mm-hmm. It's it's well, it's, it's not <laughs> it's not the strongest Jamaican accent. No, At least it's you're strong. not speaking patois. But yeah. every time you say thing mm-hmm. and you say tin, I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, my accent is strong. I speak Jamaican like you know completely. If I'm talking to my mom or a family member. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so growing up in America, did mm-hmm. people ever make fun of you for your accent or? Did you find yeah. people be attracted attracted to you because of your accents? I mean, accents is tricky in America, right? Because mm-hmm. if you meet a racist person, it doesn't matter how your accent is. They're always <laughs> going to find something, something ignorant to say. I remember one white guy in high school said to me, you know, I was talking to him. He could have easily said, I didn't hear you. Can you please repeat it? But he was like, when you start speaking English, then you can come talk to me. Ooh. Funny enough, this guy's married to a black woman. So hopefully she's okay. But I just thought he was just extremely racist, rude, horrible, and vile. 
because I was speaking English. If you don't understand what I'm saying, just ask me to repeat it. So yes, for the most part, people have liked my accent, but at the same time, I've observed people making fun of other people's accent too. So I'm mm. really not for the wall making fun of accents or anything like that. Yeah. But I'm too mm-hmm. old in my life mm-hmm. to start to try to learn how to speak like an American. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> my Nigerian accent mm-hmm. is here to stay. And that is Period. okay. <laughs> Shanel said this was awesome. Um, I'm looking forward to, you know, continuing to be friends with you and Brandon you. for a very, very, very long time. I'm looking forward to the baby as well. I'm oh, looking forward you, to all the nice things that are happening. Mm-hmm. It's cold outside. Yeah. And I really want to say thank you so much for coming. I know you're not necessarily in the most comfortable situation in no, this it's all period, good. but thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was a pleasure having you and I hope someone out there enjoys the conversation as well so thank you all for listening it has been the Locketude podcast you can follow us on instagram at Locketude l-o-c-i-t-u-d-e um, don't forget to keep it locked with an attitude and make some babies <laughs> <laughs>